on Monday on his own. The second was with his parents just three hours before the shooting took place. And prosecutors say those parents have not been cooperating and they're considering bringing charges against them as well. A small setback in the jobs market. The Labor Department says the number of people who signed up for first-time unemployment claims rose last week after hitting a pandemic low the week before. It comes as workers switch jobs in record numbers. MLB players are officially out. There's no joy in Mudville with Major League Baseball's first lockout in 26 years. It began at midnight after players failed to ratify a new collective bargaining agreement. USA Today sports columnist Bob Nightingale. Negotiations went nowhere, uh, each side accusing the other one of stall tactics. It never came close to reach an agreement on the key economic issues. Teams decided to force the long-anticipated confrontation during the offseason rather than risk players walking out during the summer as they did in 1994. Jim Crisula, CBS News. Two days after they were supposed to make repairs, a couple of astronauts have ventured outside the International Space Station. Alpha 1, clockwise 2. It's expected to take Thomas Marshburn and Caleb Barron more than six hours to replace an old antenna. Tuesday's walk was scrapped because of possible danger from space junk. S&P futures up seven. This is CBS News. If you're checking for fever, the leading sign of COVID-19, beware of dangerously inaccurate non-contact thermometers. Instead, learn about Exergen at exergen.com. Hundreds of thousands of people have said goodbye to their overpriced Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile plans and switched to Pure Talk on the same great 5G coverage as one of those carriers. Get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month. The average family is saving over $800 a year. Just dial pound 250 and say Jill 50 to save 50% off your first month. That's pound 250. Say Jill 50. I usually start my day with a Vicks Vapo shower. <sighs> Surrounding myself with soothing Vicks vapors prepares me for a busy day. After all that, I fill the tub and slip into a soothing Vicks Vapo bath to unwind. <sighs> the start and the end of my day? Perfect. The middle part needs work. Look for Vicks Vapo bath and Vicks Vapo shower in a store near you. A milestone for a pop star. She's 40 today and she's got a lot to celebrate this year. It's her first birthday celebration free from a conservatorship in the last 13 years. A judge ended it last month. Spears is now ringing in the big 4-0 with the trip abroad with her fiance. She posted a picture on a plane with a huge smile on her face, telling fans on Instagram yesterday she's excited to get away and celebrate her newfound freedom. Monica Ricks, CBS News. Christmas arrives in New York City. Three, two. They flicked on the 50,000 lights on this year's Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. It's a 79-foot-tall Norway spruce this year. As usual, NBC hosted. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. Jay Farner here, CEO of Rocket Companies. If you thought you missed your chance to refinance and save, think again. Mortgage rates have recently dropped below 3%, and Rocket Mortgage can help you save big. You could lower your monthly payment and prepare yourself for a better financial future. But you've got to act now. Call us today at 8338-ROCKET or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rocket. Conditions apply. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Whether you're vaccinated or not, it's important to know the symptoms of COVID and its variants. Fever is the leading sign of COVID and the flu. So make sure you use an accurate thermometer. Only the Exergen Temporal Scanner Thermometer has been proven accurate with more than 100 clinical studies. Non-contact thermometers have no clinical evidence behind them and you cannot rely on them. Be vigilant and seek medical advice at the first sign of fever. Learn more at exergen.com. If you love snow, you will love our winter wreaths and decor here at A Work of Heart in Grand Central Mall. These wreaths can be personalized with names to make a special decoration or gift. Find a Christmas or winter flag for your porch or yard. Check out our many porch sitter signs. Our laser engraved signs and products make some of the most unique gifts 
you can give to make this a remembered Christmas. We have a great selection of snowmen, gnomes, and winter decor, wooden and plush. Need a great smelling jar candle? How about buttered maple syrup? Ohio State and West Virginia signs and decorations. Many can be personalized. We have puzzles, farm decor, wedding anniversary, fragrant candles, battery candles, greeting cards, and 20% off our box Christmas cards. Our wildlife department is a sight to behold. Come see us today at A Work of Heart Grand Central Mall. Find us on Facebook or shop online at aworkofheart.biz. Integrated Services for Behavioral Health is the preeminent behavioral health organization in Southeast Ohio. It's an organization of over 300 like-minded individuals that provide services to some of the most vulnerable populations, believing in the resiliency of the individual. If you provide good services, if you care about the individual and you value communities, you know, the opportunities are endless. Hey, it's Boots. We'll talk holiday travel, visit a Corvette museum, and live the life of a tow truck driver. That's AutoSmarts Friday afternoon at 106 on 970 WATH and 97.1 FM. You deserve the peace of mind that comes with affordable health insurance. Get Covered Ohio can help at no charge. Financial assistance is available and coverage is more affordable than ever. Some health insurance plans are as low as $10 or less a month. Don't wait. Open enrollment ends January 15th. Make your free appointment today by calling 833-628-4467 or visit GetCoveredOhio.org. This message is supported by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, but does not necessarily represent the official views of the U.S. government. Sponsored by the Ohio Association of Food Banks, aired by the OAB and the station. Daily reports at the stock market's close. Tune in at 5.30 tonight on WATH to stay informed about your money. The stock market report is brought to you by Goldsberry Wealth Strategies, serving Athens County since 2005. The Goldsberry Wealth Strategies stock market report airs exclusively in Athens County on 970 WATH weekdays at 5.30 immediately after our local newscast. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIP. PC. Investment advisory services are offered through Raymond James Financial Services. Advisors, Inc. Gold Bear Wealth Strategies is not a registered broker-dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H Thank you, Fleisch. One of these days we're going to have to bring Fleisch into the studio so he can... Uh, tell you about his background. Interesting guy. It's 9.09. The sun is shining. It is 51 degrees. They say it's going to climb another 9 yet. That's right. Get on at 60. And we got a special edition today. Tom O'Grady is our guest. I know he's been on fairly often, but I got a few questions I've never asked him before. But right out of the shoot, let me just tell you, he is the uh, executive director, I don't know what the title is, for our Southeast Ohio History Center, which, um, let's see, Tom, that's, um, we're in year what of that existence? I think it's about, let's see, we became that in uh, 2016. So 16. Year five. Year five. Cool. Well, um, recently the uh, Athens Rotary Club and I think um, another organization, maybe the Morning Rotary Club, um, did a um, kind of an open house there just a few days ago, as a matter of fact, and, and uh, had the opportunity to just sort of freely walk the building and talk with the staff. And this was like a um, five to seven in the evening window. And um, it was, it, so I, but we had lined this show up before that. So I'm going to start like we've never started before. Where were you raised? Well, first half of my life was Cleveland, second half Columbus, third half Athens. Okay. Now well, I'm um, lucky. I had three halves. So when you far. when you three halves, <laughs> three thirds, three halves. Okay, um, Cleveland. What part? Well, um, started out on the west side, uh, inner city west side. Then we moved a little further out by the airport off Rocky River Drive. Now, I mean, when when you say 
west side, inner city west side. Could oh, that be off, Lakewood? Off of Lorraine, not not as far out as Lakewood. Okay, okay. Um, 112th and Lorraine, I think. And then, uh, but I was pretty young. That I have of just a few fleeting mo- memories. Yeah. Then we moved to Columbus for. Uh, I think six months, and my dad lost his job once he got down there, and we moved back to Cleveland and to the near east side, inner city. That was East 93rd and Union. Oh, I know that, that area. That was an old uh, Slovenian neighborhood in transition at the time. My mom had grown up in that house. Well, uh, uh, just back up a minute now. that We were moving too fast. So oh, okay. What, was, uh, what were your parents' backgrounds or, or, or lines of work, so to speak? Well, my mom, um, I have 11 brothers and sisters, so she... <laughs> she 11? Of, yeah. Wow. So a family of a dozen kids, huh? Yep. She had 12 kids in 13 years. So she had her hands full. I guess. And my dad was, uh, he started out as a bailiff in the Cuyahoga County Courthouse, and then uh, he was involved in um, young, de- young dem politics in Cleveland. And he got a, a job appointed by the governor of Ohio, Governor uh, Mike DeSalle, mm-hmm. to be the director of the Department of Commerce. So my dad took us all down to Columbus in July of, I think it was about 1960 or 61. And Now the job that he held, uh, that's a political appointment. Right. So um, may I assume that Governor DeSalle uh, lost office and that's why he... Correct. Yeah. He lost office just uh, that fall, and in January we moved back to Cleveland, and we moved into a house that my grandfather owned that my mom grew up in as a kid in the inner city there, and uh, my grandpa had built something out outside of town along one of the... Well, having a family of 12 children, mercy. Yeah. Um, there was a family lived across the street from me on a high street when I was growing up, the Schulteis family. And they they had twelve, and I mean it was crazy. Um, so, I mean, how how uh, how did you find homes large enough? You know what I mean? Well, we just squeezed in. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you, I assume you're close to all your family, eh? Uh, pretty pretty close. I saw most of them last weekend for well, Thanksgiving. That's, that's neat. And do they all live within a reasonable different uh, all, Almost all of them are in Columbus. Oh, wow. Well, that's cool. Well, so um, Columbus and then you say Athens, right? Yeah, well, I, I then my dad relocated us to Columbus when I was starting high school. So went to high school and college and a lot of them running around in Columbus. Okay, which high school in Columbus? West side of uh, uh, Bishop Reedy. Yes. And then um, what about um, college and that sort of thing? Well, I went, I went to uh, Ohio Dominican for a semester, and nobody was keeping attendance, so I was a poor student, and I dropped out. And I got, uh, they had the draft back in those days, and I got number one in the lottery. And Really? Your birthday was drawn as number one? It was, July I w- 9th. I was 126, and uh-huh. I got drafted. But, um, okay, so put a year to this. I got drafted in uh, January of 1971. Yeah, I was about a year ahead of you. Um, what'd they do? Each year change the draft numbers? I can't remember. Well, they, the way they did it is they had two large bins full of ping pong balls, and they had the numbers on one of the bins one to 365 I guess and the other one they had the dates of the year uh-huh. and so they'd pull a ping pong ball out of one and it might have 127 on it and they pull a ball out of the other that had your birthday on it and I that see. made and it didn't matter when they pulled it out it's just those two numbers went together yeah. the date and the number and so when they pulled my birthday out they pulled out ping pong ball number one <laughs> yeah I I now that you describe it, I do remember that process. But uh, anyway, so um, you knew you were uh, li- very likely, eh? Well, yeah, I didn't have my student deferment anymore. So mm-hmm. I was at the time working on a uh, iron ore tanker up in the Great Lakes. Really? Yeah, a sister ship to the Edmund Fitzgerald. 
I used to see I that. I think this story I've heard before. I used to see that boat twice a week. Well, so the service. Um, were you drafted to the Army, or did you go ahead and enlist in another branch? No, I, I was drafted into the U.S. Army. And uh, how long did you spend? The two years? Two years. What was your MOS? I don't remember. 32B or something. It was a radio repair. Okay. And in and, and electronics, is that something you like doing? No. No? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. I could change a light bulb. And, and where were you stationed? Uh, sent me to Fort Knox, Kentucky for boot camp and me radio too. training. And then they sent me for further training to Fort Gordon, Georgia for 16 weeks. And, you know, it was interesting. Every week they graduated a class and sent them to Vietnam, which is what I was expecting. And the class that I graduated, and they sent the first half the alphabet to Fort Ord, California, mm-hmm. and the second half to South Korea. So I spent 13 months in South Korea. What was that like? It was beautiful. It was, it was uh, they called it the land of the morning calm, and at the time there was only one paved road that ran from Seoul down to Pusan, and the rest of it was, it looked like it was still in the 19th century. It was, it was absolutely beautiful yeah. for me, rice paddies and mountains and and uh, and they made me a clerk. Never did use any of that radio repair training. Really? Huh. Well, I was I was supposed to be a clerk, but I ended up in intelligence. So go figure. It uh, <laughs> it's, that's anyway. Well, okay. Now, um, how about some of your other family members? Did they have similar experiences? Uh, pretty much no. None of them did. They um, managed to keep their grades. Yeah, they managed to stay in school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. Um, now, let's see here. I, I hope I'm not asking delica- delicate questions. Have you ever been married? Yeah, I'm married now. Okay. I, I didn't know that. And we know each other fairly well. Forgive me. Have you had any um, children? Two stepchildren. Oh, that's cool. And their ages today? Oh, 29 and maybe 25. Okay, cool. Well, um, so what about, what got you to Athens? Well, you know, when I graduated from Ohio State, I was, I had. Okay, we got to back up. Okay. What was your major at Ohio State? Uh, natural resources and geography, uh, kind okay, of a dual and, th- and that was after your service time. Right. Okay. Right. And I was exploring Columbus and discovering all kind of cool things around Columbus. And it seemed like quick as I would discover it, they would start demolishing <laughs> things <laughs> and coming in for, you know, development. You know how Columbus is. And yeah. I thought, man, I, I have to get out of here. And I came down to OU looking for a, a job. Didn't see anything. I had a friend down here, uh, George Eberts. Oh, yes. He was working at the asylum. And so I came down to see if I could find a job somewhere. And I st- in town and I stopped at the uh, university and looked into their environmental studies program and uh, the fellow in charge there that day offered me a tuition waiver and I have a a sister whose father-in-law owns some property out out near Guysville they had a little cabin out in the woods about 100 yards off the road that I could live in for free didn't have any water or electricity (laughs) So a free tuition and a free place to live, I came to Athens, and that was in the August of 1980. So you were hauling water, eh? I was. You know, I think the first, uh, I hope I don't have this all mixed up, but I was thinking about you this morning as I was getting ready to come to the office. And I think my first remembrance of you and... Ed Newman Newman um, would be that y- you guys would go out to illegal dump sites, places like on the banks of the Hocking River, up and down the river, and try to clean up the messes other people used to make illegally. Um, 
Do I have you mixed up, or is that correct? No, I I uh, started investigating. I was, I was hired at the health department to as a nuisance inspector to investigate illegal dumping, and okay. it was funded by a grant, and then I helped Bob Eichenberg at the planner's office write the grant for the following year, and we expanded it into education and some cleanup. And so over the next 10 years, we cleaned up I don't know, about 150 roadside dumps and stream banks. And that's how I discovered the Hawking Canal. People uh, dumped a lot of trash into mm-hmm. the canal. And mm-hmm. and uh, I, it gave me a, an opportunity to to discover Athens County because I went up and down every road looking for illegal dump sites. And there were some enormous messes out there. I remember, w- and that's how I met Brent Hayes. I He was just a young 21-year-old or 20-year-old, mm-hmm. and he had a small bulldozer. And some of the biggest dump sites, um, we contracted with him through the grant to clean them up. And um, I remember one of the dumps had 44 dump truck loads of trash in it. Mercy. So that was pretty much, pretty much unregulated. And then I, I'd say we used, over over a 20-some-year period, uh, I don't know, maybe 10,000 volunteers cleaning up roadside litter and dump sites and, and of course, helping on. We started then into the recycling and had recycling drives, and we used a lot of volunteers for that. I don't know as it's important, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Did you ever find something... Valuable? Valuable or (laughs) remarkable? No, I would say the, the... Remarkable, yeah. I would say that the thing that I discovered personally that I thought was remarkable were... These bricks, I would find bricks, and I would notice that they had different names on them or different patterns and yeah, this or that, yeah, and yeah. I'd, I'd started taking them home. And, um, well, now of, Ed's really into that. Yeah, and I introduced Ed to the bricks, and boy, he took them way more seriously than I did. He has brought me, as a gift, on three occasions, a Palmer brick uh-huh. made down in Texas. Yeah, and I I've given one to each of the kids. Um, I need one more to give to Paul, but um, anyway, that it, it's so cool, you know, to have them out on the porch on the railing with their name on mm-hmm. it. Well, it's uh, amazing. The the seems like an infinite variety of bricks. Yeah, it's, there's so many different bricks that are just Athens block. Yeah, you know, but yeah. the variety of them is is. Enormous, and that was one of the great industries of Southeast Ohio. I've seen, I've seen Southeast Ohio bricks in paving streets in Michigan, you know, Battle Creek. Really? And, uh, oh yeah, yeah. German Village, they they made them far and wide. I've heard that they paved some of the sidewalks in Paris. I had a studio years ago. This was um, for theater work on Kasuth in German Village, Kossuth Street. And uh, there was a lot of bricks through there. Now, did I pay attention to them at the time? No. But now that I've been exposed to all the bricks and the uniqueness of them over the years here in Athens, I should go up there and take a walk through that neighborhood again. Yeah, uh, one larger block, bigger than a brick, is uh, that you see a lot of the intersections in German villages uh, manufactured in Haydenville. Really? Hmm. We can, we're we going to cover so many different things, but you're accustomed to that. Yeah. So this whole waste management thing, and then and then recycling came along, and uh, um, I, I have a feeling you are anal you know i mean you you really are on top of that in your head and it's something that you practice deeply in your heart and yeah. am i am i not, am i crazy or what well i i i get once i get into something i get pretty enthusiastic and exuberant about it and yeah and it's a lot of different things i just chalk it up to attention deficit disorder <laughs> you mentioned george eberts a moment ago and um, I, I I didn't know him in that original capacity, but I do know him today uh, with his um, knowledge of astronomy. Right. And guess what? 
you have an immense knowledge in astronomy. In fact, you are teaching a couple courses each. Uh, let's see, we're not on semesters. We're on quarters. Um, you teach classes in that at Ohio University as an adjunct faculty member. I used to do some of that, but not in astronomy. But um, tell us about this whole astronomy thing. Well, I went to high school with George. And uh, when we were young, you know, he his mom would get him things for Christmas, like a, a micro, telescope, a microscope or, yeah, and a yeah. chemistry set and a I telescope. See. And so he learned to use all those things and... He learned the stars uh, and chemistry because he was playing with that stuff. When when we got in high school, he already knew all that stuff. The rest of us, we were struggling through that. And many years later, after I got out of the service, George and I and another fellow went to Europe for four months, and we hitchhiked around and camped out every night for four months. And it was in Europe when, when George would... I remember the very first night in, in London, I remember him getting out of his tent and looking up, and he said, wow, the North Star is higher from here, and... I, I'm laying in my tent. We all had separate tents because we traveled separately. And mm -hmm. I, I'm laying there in the dark thinking, well, how high is the North Star and how can you tell it's higher from here? And, you know, and he would do things like that uh, periodically on this trip. I remember one night we had just crossed the uh, English Channel and it was too late to keep heading toward Paris hitchhiking. And, and so he said, let's let's go down to the Channel and watch the sunset in the west and the moon rise out of the channel in the east and the other guy and i looked at each other shrugged our shoulders and went down there but when it actually happened when he said check it out and the sun turned red and it was sinking into the channel in the west we thought that was pretty slick we felt like we'd accomplished something just by seeing it and then he says check that out and he pointed in the opposite direction there was a red moon rising out of the channel in the east you couldn't help but look back and forth at these two things and then you had to wonder how did he know that <laughs> And he did these things periodically, and uh, one night he and I had a ride. It was a day. We had a ride from Zermatt, Switzerland, down to the Italian border. And for some reason, I think we made the, the couple that was carrying us nervous, and they asked us if we wouldn't mind catching a ride with somebody else. So we got out, and nobody else came by, and we ended up walking down um, through the Alps. Mm. Um, toward the Italian border all night long and it was a crystal clear night and it was that walk down the hill down the mountains that you know all you could see were the stars and so George introduced me to the various patterns in the sky and probably from that point on uh, he and I've been stargazing buddies and um, you well know, you know stargazing is um what we're to use here, but it's done a lot here in Athens. Oh, yeah. And uh, we have an observatory uh, and other uh, groups that go out and share their knowledge with one another. Uh, you're you're keenly involved in all of that, too. Describe some of that. Well, uh, George and I started teaching, you know, a lab class at OU way back in 1984, and we, it just gave us access to some nice telescopes. Yeah. <laughs> Ohio University has a, a real couple of really nice American treasures, you might say. And uh, so we started organizing open houses for Halley's Comet and different events, uh, rings of Saturn and the moons of Jupiter. When these things were up on at the right time of evening, mm -hmm. sort of like after dinner, mm -hmm. we would organize events when we could. And, and we had a lot of these over the years for meteor showers, eclipses, uh, transits of Venus and Mercury when they go across the face of the sun. And so a lot of opportunities to share some of these interesting events with the public. And uh, and these still continue. Oh, yeah. And, and how does one know about uh, an upcoming event? Oh, the best way is to go to the Ohio University. Um, just Google Ohio University Observatory. Okay something will come up and then once you get to that page just scroll down and you'll see um open houses is this something that um, children like to see as well or or is it more of an adult uh, appreciation uh mostly adults but it's, it's, you know a lot of people bring really young kids and that's lost on them but i'd say 
eight years old and up. Okay. If if they come at that level, they're probably already. They may have been the one that drugged their parent to it. <laughs> and so, the, everybody likes to see. I know the the, the, the top three crowd pleasers are craters on the moon, the rings of Saturn, and the moons of Jupiter. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of cool other stuff to look at with a telescope, but galaxies and star clusters, a lot of that stuff, they're just little fuzzy things, and they keep, they kind of look the same from one to the next to the next. They look really great in long-time exposed photographs, but... Uh, now, my wife has recently started pointing out a, a bright object in the sky every night. In the west. In the west, and it's it doesn't seem to move too much. It it that's the planet Venus, third brightest thing in the sky. And and has that always been there, or is this oh, no. some new uh, opportunity? Now Venus is an inner planet. Its its orbit is between the Earth and the Sun, so it's either in the evening sky in the west after sunset, or it's in the morning sky in the east before sunrise. And it goes through a cycle of these patterns over an 18 month period and it just keeps repeating. So it's in the evening sky for about six months, disappears and then it's in the morning sky for six months. And there's a couple months where it's behind the sun. We don't see it at all for a little while, but. Well, it, it rarely appears to move. And, and it also can be the only thing shining. Right. Um, so the source of light is a reflection? Yeah, it's sunlight reflecting off of the, the cloud tops of Venus. Wow. And right now, if you looked at it in a telescope, it would be a crescent shape. Okay. It goes through phases like the moon does because it's between the Earth and the sun. The outer planets like Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn don't do that, but Mercury and Venus do. And Venus, of course, is so bright, and uh, it's brightest when it's a crescent. And right now it is so bright it's at a point in its orbit called maximum brilliancy. And so over the last month or so, it's been at its most obvious. And so that's why it gets pointed out. It does the same cycle <laughs> on a regular basis. And um, so it's at what's called maximum brilliancy. And if, if you know where to look for it in the daytime, you can see it in the blue sky. Not easy, but you can. And then it's also bright enough if you get outside of town on a clear night with no moon and, and no lights, you can see your shadow by the light of Venus. Well, um, again, so many interesting topics, but we really need to talk about the History Center. So about six years ago, we said earlier, um, this idea surfaced. Do you recall who spearheaded this? Well, I had just become the director of the Athens County Historical Society and Museum, and we've had this long need for more space because we had materials, you know, the, the old historical site was kind of full. Now, where was that? That was down on Court Street there, just down the alley from where the History Center is now. Oh, oh, oh I know exactly that. Yeah, and um, it was kind of full, and then, the, you know, over the years, people donated so many things that there were a couple storage lockers out on East State Street full of artifacts as well. And so the, the main interest was finding some more space for storage, and we looked at a lot of different places, mostly for storage, and then this church building came up for sale, and there was some interest on a couple different parts of people in town that one wanted to demolish it and put up student housing and another wanted to gut it and convert it to student housing and so the board at the time made the bold and courageous decision to purchase it and try it and what and, and in doing that we had talked to somebody about possibly getting some money out of the state legislature to help and we were told that well, at the makeup of the state legislature and the state house with, you know, Republican governor, re Republican House and Senate, that and Athens being a sort of a, a, a blue stronghold, they said, well, the folks in Columbus are going to stay up late trying to make Athens look good, so you'd have a better chance if you represented a larger region. And you're a kind of a 
a bigger museum that has some expertise. And so we started discussing that. And the, the idea came up about being a Southeast Ohio History Center. And we realized, you know, we have a common heritage with all of Southeast Ohio. This all used to be Washington County at one time. And then it got divvied up to form other counties. When Ohio became a state, Athens County did not exist. And then in 1805, parts of Washington, Fairfield, Ross, and um, Gallia were carved up to make Athens, and it was huge at the time. And then in subsequent years, parts of Athens and these other counties all contributed to the makeup of Hocking and uh, Perry and Morgan and Meggs and Lawrence and uh, Jackson and Vinton. And so, at well, different well, you know, we have 88 counties now, right? Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to say, well, back in this time, 18-whatever, there were 14 counties, and then it became 26, and I'm making numbers up here, but... That, that's exactly how it happened. The yeah. last county was created in 1851, and that was Noble County down here in southeast Ohio. Vinton oh. was pretty late. Vinton was around 1850, I believe. I'll be darned. Well... Um, so, the other, the other so thing about naming yourselves or taking responsibility for being a history center for larger area than simply Athens County, that is what caught the state's attention, right? Well, I'm not sure we've gotten the state's attention yet. <laughs> We're well, still working on that. I mean funding. Uh, we, well, the state has had these um, capital improvements grants over the last decade or so and Stewart's Opera House had gotten them and sure. the Dairy Barn and so we just made our applications we've always applied for more than we've gotten but you know our state rep Jay Edwards uh, we brought him in and shared our vision with him and you know he I'm sure he pulled some strings to help us get some of the money so I'm not sure we're on the state's radar but we, we got on our state rep's radar yeah and we're bringing, we're, we're forever working on this. And, and um, one of the other things we realize is that some of these counties, almost all of them have historical societies. Some of them have two or three, but they're always, seems like they're always run by volunteers. Some have been running for volunteering for 20 and 30 years. And oh, yeah. and they they were so tickled to hear that that we were doing this. They I think they think that we have more to offer than we do. But if we keep moving and keep working with our neighbors, we can get to that point down the road. You know, um, I think of the different, uh, a lot of women, but men too, that over the years have been so keenly um, keenly interested in um, keeping Athens' history um, available to people. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Marge Stone, for example. Marge Stone and Joe Prisley and yeah. Beverly Schumacher and Gifford Doxey and yes. George Bain. It's been quite a large number of people. We stand on some big shoulders. Indeed. And um, at the event the other night, you uh, you had people um, take a look at a, a book, that <coughs> a photographic book that uh, Marge Stone had done. Yes. And um, oh, it's fascinating, folks. I, I encourage you to take a look. It, the title is... Um, then and Now, I believe. Then and Now, yes, by Marge Stone. Yeah, well, she got some old historic photographs of different places in Athens. And, and then also, like, what it looked in originally, and then what it looked ten, uh, 20 years later, and then how it looks today, whatever. Yeah. That sort of thing. It's fascinating. Um, well, so this history center. Um, y you know, again, many of these historical groups around the state are volunteers. Uh, you certainly have a lot of volunteers, but there's also something unique and you're proud of, and that is a paid staff, right? Correct. And um, there's not a bunch of them, but there's different ones that have different responsibilities. And when we toured your... Um, site there, which is at the corner of Congress and East West State. West State. And from the outside, it certainly has the appearance of a church, a large church. It's the old First Christian Church. And uh, I know the Draw family, George Draw, who did this show many, many years, uh, his family was keenly involved in that church. 
I remember George. Well, um, y- you know, com- com- converting a church to an exhibit hall, uh, there's some challenges there. Oh. Um, you know, it, some churches are built like theaters where they have sloping floors and and seating that's kind of uh, curved to face the stage, if you will. Um, that was the case there too, right? Correct. It had a sloping floor and, and pews. And yet when we were in there the other night, everything was beautiful and flat. Right. That happened during COVID. <laughs> okay. Um, it allowed us to get some things done when nobody was coming in there, so... We took the pews out, and, and they weren't old pews. They were put in around the 70s or something, mm-hmm. and then uh, leveled the floor. And uh, it's now a multi-purpose space. We can set up exhibits in there. We can bring in traveling exhibits, say, from the Smithsonian or something. We could um, set up tables and chairs. Uh, we could set up. We had an event there on November 5th where we just set up chairs like a theater, and we have a big screen that we put up, and we had... Uh, Dennis James, a renowned organist, come in and play that amazing organ that's in there in a company with a 1922 silent film called Nosferatu. It was a uh, Dracula vampire film. <laughs> and it's the fourth time he's done that. He's done um, yeah. Phantom of the Opera and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. And we hope to do more of that. Uh, George Weckman, uh, who's also an organ player and has played that organ in there, um, has sp- is sponsoring Dennis James to come back in the spring, so we're working on another event there. But I we spent the first from um, Dennis James. That is, I think I knew him from Columbus. Right? Yeah, he played at the uh, Ohio Theater for a long time. Right, I had a lot to do with saving the Ohio Theater. Oh, yeah. good that's, job. That's a whole other story. Okay. Well, you know, um, uh, oh, I forgot my train of thought there. Uh, it happens to me too. Um. I'll just jump in, and maybe it'll come back to you. So, well, what I was going to say was we spent the first three years in there with the church, uh, the folks from the First Christian Church, so we, we co- cohabitated that uh, building at the same time, and they were such a good group to work with, and they've been very supportive and, and cooperative with us. And, um, you know, it's it's a tough thing to take over somebody else's place and then make these changes. So we've been very sensitive to that. We recognize that our, our number one asset, our number one artifact, you might say, is, is the building itself. And we want to take very good care of that. And the church group has been very, very cooperative with us on that. You have added so many display spaces and display cabinets and display racks and things like that. Um, in, in our visit the other night with the Rotary Clubs, uh, I broke away and I just walked the aisles of these racks from the floor to the ceiling with maybe six shelves on each rack. And then they're, they're continuous. They're, they're 30, 40 feet long. And then you have both sides of them, and then you have, uh, it's just a huge space, folks. And like, so you come across this collection of antique typewriters. <laughs> and um, I, I used to use a manual typewriter. And um, I was just fascinated because there were some there I had never seen the likes of before. And then I came along, and then there was a, 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 a several shelves of old, old radios. And, I mean, the type you might put on a desk somewhere, but then there was another collection elsewhere, which were freestanding, large things. Um, Phonographs and yeah, things. Just, um, well, when, Amazing when, uh, stuff. You know, Joe Prisley and Mark Stone, in, in the time that they were doing this, they, they amassed over 70,000 artifacts and 
as as many old photographs and, and lots of documents and things like that. I know there was a time they came out here and col- and took a lot of things. Um, uh, this is probably 25, 30 years ago. I remember them coming out and saying, can we have that? You know, <laughs> looking through the attic or whatever. Well, and uh, just fascinating stuff, folks. I highly encourage you to um, visit them, the Southeast Ohio History Center. Um, it may turn you on enough you want to get involved and volunteer some. Now, genealogy. Um, so I'm adopted, right? And once upon a time, I was allowed to request my original birth certificate. Took eight months to get it, but uh, this was so uh, ten years ago. But here it comes up, Jackson, Ohio, 123 Market Street, and the name of the mother and um, Jewish faith, et cetera, et cetera. So I've been trying to dig into more and more information. Now, folks, there's a lot of genealogical information. Yes, we have a, the, the Jim and Shirley Hayes Genealogical Center at the History Center now, and it's, a, it's both a genealogy library and also a local history library. So there's a lot of information there, and it's completely run by volunteers. We have about uh, seven volunteers that work in there two days a week, um, Wednesdays and Fridays at this point from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. But if you're if you're looking to find out more about your family, that's a good place to start. They can get you get you on your on the road. And th- this isn't something they charge you for, right? I mean, this is something that they help you. Uh, know the sources to look through and maybe can even find a few for you well to keep to to keep you know our doors open they do charge if you call in or, or send emails or something but okay. those people who stop in them personally during those hours they do everything they can to help them get started sure. right there and there's no sure. fee for that and if there is a fee but there is a donation modest, jar right? there and people seem more than happy to put things in it for yeah. To help keep the door, because there's copying costs and printing costs, things like that. Now, well, when you, when you talk to similar facilities around the state, um, what, what, what what might be a close one to you, physically close? As far as similar in size and service. Yes. Oh. Uh, mm, that's a good question. I mean, my point that I'm trying to bring out is you're you're unique. There aren't too many just like this. Right. Ross County has a very good one, and they have a, it's, it's much bigger, bigger budget, bigger staff. Yep. But then you get over to Hawking County, and they have three or four buildings, and they're just full of artifacts, but it's completely run by volunteers. Yeah. But then, of course, there's fewer services and fewer programs and, and things like that. But they've preserved a lot of things, and they're trying really hard to preserve their, their history. But it's all all done by volunteers so it's a tough it's a tough way to go um and there isn't any kind of funding for any of this stuff it's all museums are basically gifts to the community (laughs) by the community they're all based on philanthropy and of course we try to generate uh, revenues from events that we charge for or sales in the gift shop or membership and um sponsorships and things like that but but basically there are people in every community who not only donate um artifacts and and valuable items of their family's heritage but people donate money and they leave money in in their wills and things like that we have to get on people's radar so that they know that there's an option for that if i could just say about one thing about what we're planning there the up on the balconies overlooking the uh main auditorium there there were pews up there and so there's elevated floors up there and and we're going to be leveling those floors out and putting and we did that on one side already and that's the library genealogy section but there's another side that isn't being used yet and it's we're going to be leveling that and putting in a southeast ohio exhibit and one of the things we want to do at our history center is connect the natural heritage 
and the cultural heritage because all the industries in the history of Southeast Ohio are based on the natural environment, you know, the salt and the coal and the uh, iron and, and all these things. And we want to make those connections, but we want to tell the story of our region, not just about, we don't want to be Athens-centric in this, so that if you come in from Ironton or somewhere else, you feel like your story is being represented. But also if you come down from northern Ohio, you're learning about this part of the state of Ohio where, where Ohio began. And it's an important story. And, you know, the more I've learned down here, the more I realize that Southeast Ohio history is a big part of Ohio's history, but it's also, in many cases, American history. And in some cases, it's world history. Wow. Well, um, I could just give you a small example of that. Down in Tupper's Plains in Meigs County, there was a fellow born down there in 1864, and his family was in the furniture business. So he grew up making furniture, and he learned all the detail uh, measuring and all that kind of stuff. Then he eventually went to the University of Cincinnati, and then I catch up with him. He's taking deep-sky photographs through the Yerkes, the telescope at Yerkes Observatory, the biggest lens ever made in the history of the world for uh, a telescope, and he's using that to make deep-sky photographs of galaxies and star clusters and nebula and stuff. And the fellow who raised the money was named George... Hillary Hale, and he wanted to build a bigger telescope. So they went to the 60-inch, but they couldn't make a lens. They had to go to mirrors, and they hired this guy out of Tupper's Plains to ma make the lens and to m work out all the complicated uh, geometry and all that. And he did that, but it took him a really, really long time to do it because he was trying to make it so perfect you could take long-time exposed photographs through it. Mm. Then they got it done and they had the biggest telescope in the world and they went on to make the 100-inch telescope and they hired George Ritchie from Tupper's Plains to make that. But it took him so long it upset George Ellery Hale and he fired him. <laughs> so Ritchie hooked up with a French guy named Cretien and they designed a new type of telescope and it wasn't for looking through, it was for taking images through and then you study the images, the photographs. And they discovered... And and he died pretty much poor and unknown, but they have gone on to use the Ritchie Cretien design telescope on most of the major telescopes on the mountaintops all around the world. The vast majority are that, and including the Hubble Space Telescope. Wow. And this starts in Tupper's Plains in Meigs County. I see what you mean now. Yeah, that's remarkable. And there's other stories like that. There's a Nobel Peace Prize winner comes out of Marietta. I mean, there's lots of stories like that. Well, um, you know, the the adaptation from a former church to a cultural center, I was impressed already. It it doesn't, um, except for uh, one spot where there's a bunch of pipes from a pipe organ uh, to be seen. Uh, the floors are flat. Everything's laid out so nicely. You still say you have one part of a balcony to fix. Um it just looks great. Now, um, yet to be accomplished changes, like, um, and I don't mean from a church to a, to a display center, but what are some other things you'd like to do there? Well, I'd like to think that some, one of these days, you know, now that we have that big exhibit area, it would be really nice if we could work with other his, historical societies in the region so that they could come in and set up their own Mm -hmm. exhibit in the Southeast Ohio History Center so we could put Vinton County on display in Athens County or uh, Lawrence County and, and let them tell their story the way they want to tell doesn't it. Doesn't that also include putting ours out at, their, at theirs? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and one of the things we've already been trying to do is take some of the artifacts that we have down in, in our basement and get them put on exhibit elsewhere outside the History Center so that if they're just sitting in boxes down there, they're not doing much to tell the like story. the lobby of the OUN or something. Yes, any yeah. place where we could do it where it's safe. It might be a bank. One of the things we did when Sunday Creek Coal went out of business a few years ago, they donated this large blueprint copy machine, and it's a it's about a nine-foot-tall glass tube hmm. that they made these blueprint copies in. And, you know, we could have brought that down to the History Center, but it had been in Nelsonville for so long and it's part of the history of Nelsonville and the, the little cities of Black Diamonds and the coal history that instead of bringing it down here we moved it over to the Stewart's Opera House and it's on display there and we created an exhibit around that because coal had a lot to do with building that 
Opera House and, and keeping it going for many years. And so the more we can do that, the more we're looking to do that because we have a lot of artifacts. And so libraries have been a little challenging. We have temporary exhibits we in libraries, but we've had them up at the Kennedy Center and uh, uh, we've worked with Perry County to put some exhibits up there in the past. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've put... Um, Perry County, or Little Cities of Black Diamond, and Morgan County have both had exhibits here at the History Center so far in the past couple of years. But we're working on doing more of that and connecting with our neighbors. And we have a AmeriCorps Vista person who's been out connecting with people. And you know where we can help them on a something where we have a little bit more expertise than them, we do that too. And when we have an annual meeting, we've been taking that annual meeting on the road. We've been to uh, Nelsonville and, and Morgan County. Last year we had our annual meeting in Gallia County, and we let people know we exist, and then we, we do our what we can to recognize some of the amazing things that folks are doing in, in those areas to preserve you know, our heritage. I, I, um, Scott once in a while reminds me that I do a terrible job of, let's say someone tuned in at the bottom of the hour, of saying who it is our guest is today. And it's, it's Tom O'Grady, folks. And he heads up our Southeast Ohio History Center. Uh, but he's done other things over the years, too, that kind of cool. I, I have a single question here that will throw you off a little bit. What is your favorite way to pass time? I mean, you know, it can be as simple as watching a particular series on TV. It can be... Um, some electronic game. Uh, I'm just I'm just trying to pull a little bit out of your personnel. I'm I, if if I'm at home doing it, it's 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 digging more into Ohio's history. But if it's if I have a little bit more time and can escape, it's it's going down backpacking and camping in West Virginia. There you go. Well, Tom, I appreciate you coming in, and. Um, any special events for the holidays planned? For me, no. I hope to see some folks, or some of my family members. But the communities, I'm sorry, the oh. History Center? No, I, you know, it's it's been a little sketchy with the, we may have, we have a, a photographic exhibit in there right now of, of Brian Blouser, local photographer. Yes, of course. And it's up, but I'm not, and there's, uh, we're supposed to do a, um, an opening one night associated with that, but we're we're kind of waiting on hearing from Brian and some of his cohorts that are working with him that have pulled this thing together for, with us, mm -hmm. and we're going to coordinate around their schedule. But um, we'll just be open. Um, and of course, Dick Gaskell, Doctor Gaskell, has been uh, advising everybody in our community how to properly do things like that. Right. Right. All right. right. Well, well we listen. have a we have a mask policy in our building, so. Um, unless you're sitting down there eating, which we did with the Rotary the other night. We asked people to wear masks when they're sure. in the building. Well, thanks for coming in, Tom. It's always a pleasure. And uh, I, I, I always picture you with Ed Newman for, from years ago. I'm going to have him in one of these days. <laughs> Sounds keep, good. Keep up the good work, all right? Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WHFN. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. A day after the first Omicron case was confirmed in the U.S., the White House has announced tougher restrictions on travelers and commuters. Coordinator Jeff Zients tells CBS Mornings they're also focusing on follow-up vaccinations. It's a national campaign to get the 100 million eligible Americans who have not yet gotten their booster a booster, including increasing the availability of appointments at pharmacies, walk-ups at pharmacies, expanding our capacity across the whole network. 
more so people can get booster shots. Airline passengers will need negative COVID tests within 24 hours of departing for the U.S. A country with one of the largest economies in the world is getting tough on the unvaccinated. Correspondent Elaine Cobb is at the Foreign Desk. As new cases continue to surge across Germany, Chancellor Angela Merkel has announced that anyone not vaccinated will be excluded from most public venues. A COVID pass noting full vaccination will be required at non-essential stores, cultural venues and sporting events. She said the situation in Germany is serious as 70,000 new cases were recorded over 24 hours. House and Senate leaders in this country are racing to come to an agreement to keep the government funded into the new year. But CBS's Steve Dorsey says they may face obstacles. The House is expected to vote today on another stopgap government funding bill through February 18th. However, the measure still needs to pass the Senate, where some Republicans are threatening to delay it in protest of President Biden's coronavirus vaccine mandates. The baseball commissioner is expected to speak this hour after players failed to ratify a collective bargaining agreement with the league. At the stroke of midnight, it triggered the first player lockout in 26 years. A court has stepped in to stop another controversial law in Texas. CBS